Part three, chapter two of Garcia Marino by Augustine Berth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. The Constitution, eighteen sixty nine. As a true Christian statesman, Garcia Marino believed that God had sent his son upon earth to govern nations as well as souls, and that in consequence the true constitution of a people should have Jesus Christ for its head and the evangelic code for its formula. Under this first and great authority the state is formed, sword in hand, to defend the liberty of action of the church, and to provide for the order and material well-being of the nation, so that the children of the church should enjoy that superabundance of all good things promised to those who seek first the kingdom of God and his justice. The secondary organ of government should be united to the church, as the body is to the soul, and on their regular and combined operations depend the good order of the state, the prosperity of society, and the true liberty of individuals. Footnote. See the encyclical of Leo Thirteenth on the Constitution's Civitatum Christiana. End footnote. This apparently simple problem, however, namely to give a Christian people a Christian constitution, was almost the most audacious work ever undertaken by Garcia Moreno. The revolution has so worked upon men's minds during this last century that they have forgotten the first notions of social organization. They eliminate the main wheel of this organization, that is, the church, the source of all truth and justice, and they make the people absolute sovereigns, so that society, having neither head nor heart, neither God nor master, becomes the prey of the revolutionists, who divide the spoils. Thus the revolution takes advantage of the credulity of the people under the specious name of liberty and independence. Even certain Catholics do not escape this liberal infatuation. They boast of constitutions based on the abominable doctrine of the sovereignty of the people and on the subordination of the church to the state, under the hypocritical formula of a free church in a free state. In his encyclicals and in the syllabus, Pius IX condemned the favorite theses of the radicals, that the church should reconcile herself with modern civilization, and that liberty of worship did not lead to indifferentism or immorality. Garcia Marina exclaimed on hearing some Catholics defend such opinions. They will not understand that if the syllabus remains a dead letter, society is at an end. If the Pope has put true social principles before us, it is because the world needs them, if it be not to perish. The Constitution, which he now framed for Ecuador, was in exact conformity to the principles of the syllabus, and deserves the serious consideration of all Christian statesmen. On the heading of this new Constitution he inscribed the words, in the name of one God, in three persons, the author, preserver, and lawgiver of the universe, the National Convention has decreed the present Constitution. The first article declared that the Catholic, Apostolic, and Roman faith was the religion of the state, to the exclusion of all others, and that the state was the porter in the inalienable possession of all the rights and prerogatives with which she had been invested by the laws of God and the canons of the Church, with the further obligation of protecting and making them respect it. To ensure the perpetuity of this article, Garcia Marino added the clause to the effect that no one could be a deputy or eligible to hold any public office who did not profess the Catholic religion. This fundamental article was almost unanimously voted by the chambers, two voices only being against it. Garcia Marina added another clause which deprived those of the rights of citizens who belonged to secret societies forbidden by the Church. The Catholic nature of the state being thus constituted, the next thing was to restore the civil power which successive revolutions had weakened and well nigh annulled. Parliamentary absolutism is, in fact, the most formidable engine of despotism which the world has ever known, 
yet it is presented to the people as a type of a truly liberal government. It is, in fact, the masterpiece of revolutionary duplicity. Garcia Moreno determined to limit the power of the chambers by vesting a right of veto in the government. Until then, if the President refused to sanction a law voted by the two houses, the members moved a second reading, and if they persisted in passing it, in spite of the objections of the head of the government, this last had nothing to do but to submit or to resign. In the new Constitution, this power was modified by the fact that should the President pronounce a veto, the law was to be postponed to the following session. By that time, circumstances might change, passions become calmer, or minds be more enlightened, so that often, in the end, people were surprised at the violence of feeling which had previously existed. There were also precautions to be taken against systematic anarchists and professional rebels who were continually putting out pronunciamentos against all law and order. To ensure the stability of the government, power was given to the president and his ministers to appoint or revoke all dignitaries, whether of the civil or military order, and even councillors of states and governors of provinces. The army also was to be dependent on the power of the executive, which was to organize and distribute the forces throughout the country, wherever it was deemed necessary or expedient. When the administrative power, whether civil, judicial, or military, finds itself one with the head of the state, all work together harmoniously, and the revolutionists find themselves powerless. Certain additions to the penal laws also armed the government with fresh strength. We have seen how the rebels remained unpunished from the treason of the judges and the insufficiency of the code. Garcia Marina proposed and carried the following modifications. Rebellion and sedition consistent in the armed resistance or occupation of a portion of the territory. Those in authority or in any office who directly or indirectly take part in such revolts against the law will be judged guilty of treason. The Constitution also conferred on the government the right, in case of insurrection, to place the disaffected province in a state of siege, with the power during that time to make domiciliary visits to arrest suspected persons, to take possession of arms and ammunition, to prohibit dangerous publications, to close any clubs or societies which threaten public order, to increase the army and call out the National Guard, to impose fines on the authors of the disorder, and to judge by military law the promoters and accomplices in these acts of rebellion or invasion. To those who consider these measures too severe, Garcia Marina replied that such powers are always given in a state of siege, and in every country, and that they were still more necessary in these republics, where rebellion against authority has become chronic, and a perfect harvest to speculators. The government must be armed to defend honest men. It would be a crime to tie the hands of the executive out of consideration for men who were robbers and assassins by profession. To guard against any abuse of supreme power, Garcia Marina inserted in the new constitution that the president was to be assisted by a council of state, composed of civil, military, and ecclesiastical authorities, without whose advice and consent he would not take any important step, give or refuse his sanction to any legislative acts, declare war, appoint diplomatic agents, or other principal functionaries, or declare a state of siege. The powers of the President, being thus determined, the Constitution was to remedy, as far as possible, the instability of the government. In Ecuador, as we have before stated, the President was only elected for four years, and the deputies for two, which resulted in perpetual elections and revolutions. Garcia Marina determined to do away with this American system, and decreed that, the president should be elected for six years and be eligible for a second period, but could not be elected three times without an interval of another six years. The election of deputies would likewise be for six years, and the senators for nine, 
but the third part of both one and the other might be renewed every two years. Such was the outline of Garcia Moreno's new constitution, one in which both divine and human authority worked hand in hand to ensure the eternal and temporal happiness of the people. It was, in fact, the most magnificent effort which had been made for more than a hundred years to react against the revolutionary paganism of nations. What state in these days officially recognizes the Church of Christ with its rights and privileges, or submits to the laws of Jesus Christ, as promulgated, explained, and applied with such majesty and clearness by the Pope? This charter became not only the glory of Garcia Moreno, but of the whole country, by the ratification he obtained from the electoral body. The votes, in fact, went beyond his fondest expectations. Fourteen thousand electors, against five hundred, accepted the new constitution with acclamations of joy, and showed the world that amidst the general apostasy of nations, there is still one thoroughly Christian people on the earth. End of Part 3, Chapter 2